Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Bite Into It, where we discuss everything that is new and exciting and thought-provoking and maybe a little bit scary in the world of computers, new technology, online culture and everything that happens behind that little black screen that we've all got in our pockets. Uh, with me in studio tonight is Joey. Good evening. How's it going? It is going fairly well, considering. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, good. Well, considering. Well, considering. That's a good way to think about it. My name's Dan Salmon. We're going to be here for the next hour or so, um, yeah, to talk all your tech needs. Um, tonight, we're going to be delving in a little bit into how technology is uh, being used to tackle a couple of pretty major issues at the moment. Um, we will be discussing a bit about uh, COVID-19 later on, um, talking to the President of the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering, Professor Hugh Bradlow, about the various ways that tech is being used to tackle the virus and its ongoing impact. We'll also be uh, having a chat to uh, Professor Ray Bunteen and Dr Debbie Scott of Monash University and Eastern Health's Turning Point Mental Health and Addiction Treatment and Research Centre to uh, learn a bit more about what their project is about, uh, having just been uh, given a pretty major grant to uh, help people with mental health and suicide issues. Um, we'll be uh, discussing that later on. But first, um, it's uh, probably a bit time for a bit of news, Joe. Yeah, yeah. First bit of... Uh news we've got for today. Sorry, I'm just having Dan move mics because um, the first Flawless. microphone was... Oh, that was, is so much better. I yeah, the first microphone was just not working. No, my apologies for anyone who didn't possibly hear that. It's, it was a bit of a long intro. If too, you I'm, didn't hear that, hello, we we'll bite into it. We bite into it. My name's Dan Salmon and we've had off to a great start. <laughs> just, you know, technical issues on the technology show. That's exactly it. Look, I mean, you know, do, learn by doing is what, is what I say. It's it's all it's all about failing hard and failing fast. Um, so yeah, you are listening to Biting Talk. My name's Dan, and we've got Joe here on panel, and we're um, going to be talking tech until eight o'clock. Um, as as uh, I suppose, yeah. Let's jump into news. Yeah, yeah. The first bit of news I've got is that the Verge are reporting on their website that the EU plans to introduce right to repair rules, which will cover phones tablets and laptops by 2021 if they're successful. Um, it will hopefully mean that our devices will last longer if the, the effects of these rules come over here. Mm. Um, alongside these rules, they're also trying to introduce plans around making these products more sustainable in the first place. So I think this is a, kind of a good... It absolutely is. And it's, it's good to see, like, I suppose uh, the good thing about when the EU does something a lot, because they're such a massive market, yeah. like... As a, the flow-on effect. The flow-on effect. Yeah. Yeah, like you look at things like the general data protection regulation that they brought yeah. in a year or two ago. All of the Australian websites started to kind of comply with that because with it, with it, if you're not complying in the EU, then you don't have access to the hundreds of millions of people who live there. So uh, hopefully uh, we'll see a bit of uh, flow-on effect from, you know, increase in... You know, sustainable use of tech. We shouldn't be throwing things away. Yeah. It should be recyclable. It should... We should be fixing things. Absolutely, we should be fixing things. Like, and we we do need to do more of it. This idea of, I think, we need to move beyond planned obsolescence. And I th I think largely we are. But a lot of people are still buying the new whatever phone it is as soon as it kind of becomes available. How old's your phone, Dan Salmon? My phone is less than a year. Oh. Yeah, and I waited until my old phone was about to 
completely full. It was completely non-functional before yeah. I replaced it. No, I'm the same way. Yeah. Mine's three and a half years old. and Absolutely. And, I, like, I used to be the kind of person who waited at the shop to kind of get the new thing. Yeah. But, you know, I think maybe it's – I don't know. I don't want to say maturity thing because I'm definitely not mature. Speaking <laughs> – <laughs> Speaking of maturity, oh man, it's so nice to have a mic that works. Um, speaking of maturity, I want to talk a little bit about gaming because um, I'm, I'm not a gamer myself, but this has uh, been... A, this is beyond gaming, This is beyond gaming. This is exercise. This is yeah. about looking after yourself. So um, as we are all experiencing at the moment, things are not as available as uh, they normally are with regards to, you know, social distancing, not being able to go to certain places because of large crowds. Um uh, We've seen in definitely in Melbourne the last few days, uh, gyms have started uh, closing their doors temporarily in order to limit the spread of the COVID nineteen virus, which has uh, resulted in an interesting run on various uh, home exercise uh, apparatus, including the Nintendo Ring Fit Adventure. What's Ring Fit? Ring Fit is it's it's a piece of kit that Nintendo brought, uh, brought out last year. It's it um it's. I don't know if you've like if you're a regular gym goer, but have you just seen those Ooh, kind of? Oh, you've caught me out. Yeah. I definitely am not. <laughs> I'm not normally a well, okay. I'm a regular walk to worker. Yeah, see, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I like to think I go to the gym, but I never do. But like those of us, those of us who have been inside a gym might have seen those kind of like ring things that people kind of squeeze between their legs. That they're, they're kind of like resistance plasticky type rings, like a thigh master, like a thigh master. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo hold, thigh master. It's a Nintendo thigh master, and I'm holding the photo oh, up to Joe. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like it looks like a thigh master, and um, people in the US are trying to find these things, and they are proving difficult to find because, uh, like a lot of things, um, people are irrationally buying them up. So um, you can find a Ring Fit Adventure on uh, the online for 130 US dollars, but people are it's it's not available within a hundred miles of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, Phoenix, Des Moines, Las Vegas, and Seattle, according to the GameStop website in the US. Um, the second and third entries on Amazon are for $500 each. This is something that retailed for $90 back last year. Good Lord. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I don't, I don't want to focus on the negatives, but I think it's it's good that people are, you know, for, like wanting to kind of keep themselves occupied and exercise. But, you know, be, be good, as, as Mon was saying, be good to each other and, and care about other people. We need we need to – we're all in this together at the as, as our saviours, uh, Bill and Ted – Mm. Would say be, be, ex- be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Oh, look, um, we've got. Oh, I'm just having having a look at other news here, Joe. What, what, what do we got? Like all kinds of stuff. We've got a couple of pretty pretty big interviews yeah, coming up. Tell, so tell us who we're talking to. Yeah, today. let's. Um, yeah, I'll recap for those who couldn't hear me on the mic earlier. Um, so. Uh, We'll be speaking to Professor Ray Bunteen and Dr. Debbie Scott, who are from uh, Eastern Health Turning Point and Monash University, who have recently been given a $1.2 million grant from Google to address major health uh, challenge, mental health challenges in, in society, particularly uh, using artificial intelligence. So that'll be an interesting one to unpack. And um, we will be speaking to uh, Professor Hugh Bradlow, who is the president of the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering. Um, the Academy has put together a fact sheet of how technology is being utilised to tackle the COVID-19 epidemic and its various uh, ongoing issues. So um, we'll, we'll be having a chat with Hugh uh, around that. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You are listening to Bite Into It on 3 Triple R. You have got Dan and Joe in studio with you tonight. And... Uh, 
I suppose uh, mental health issues are something that we all deal with at some point in our lives, whether uh, they impact us directly or they impact someone close to us. Um, Artificial intelligence is a relatively new tool being applied in this space, and uh, Eastern Health's Turning Point Mental Health and Addiction Centre, in collaboration with Monash University, have just been given a $1.2 million grant from Google.org to look into how ambulance data can be uh, utilised in suicide prevention. Uh, Professor Ray Bunteen and Dr Debbie Scott are on the line to tell us more about it. Uh, Guys, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Great. Um, Now, uh, before we do get into the interview, I should mention that we will be discussing suicide in the next 10 or 15 minutes. So if the discussions do raise any issues for anyone out there, um, Lifeline is there to help on 13, 11, 14. And we are obviously understand if you feel that you need to turn the volume down for the next 10 or 15 minutes. So um, now I suppose uh, when we think about uh, uh, mental health and treatments for mental health... um, what springs to mind immediately is generally the face-to-face contact of people who are on the front line talking to people. Um, is, and, and then I imagine that that's something that Turning Point focuses on. How did, how did artificial intelligence uh, get into your, uh, I suppose, your headspace? Um, so what um, we've been doing so for... You're addressing this to me, of course, so... Uh, is Debbie there? Yeah, Debbie, Debbie is, is there. there. Yeah, can you oh, okay. Actually, you won't be able to hear each other. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll oh, start okay. with Ray. Sorry about that. I didn't realise. Yeah. Ray, yeah, Ray, if you wanted to, uh, I suppose, uh, jump that oh, first yeah. question. Oh, yeah. So, um, so while, yes, there is a lot of uh, uh, human contact going on, um, there's also uh, uh, emergency services. Um, uh, there's other uh, medical facilities uh that are operating. So what we're doing is trying to help the, um, first off, help the uh, emergency services, and that's actually done in other projects. But on this project, um, we're trying to help get information from the uh, paramedics who who attend these events and trying to better understand uh, what's happening to the people. So Right, right. right. That's right. So what we do is um, public health responses to issues like suicide or any health response rely really heavily on um, reliable data so that we can use that data to find out who's being affected, where they're being affected, and how they're being affected. And that allows us to set up interventions to try to stop this from happening. So we've been collecting data from ambulance services for a number of years now, going back to 1998, and using those data to inform public health responses to a number of different things. First of all, it was to alcohol and drug issues, but right. now I'm specifically targeting suicide and mental health issues. Right. And and I suppose it's it's early on in the in the project with regards to um, focusing on what, what the what the grant is about. But what what have been the findings uh, from the data that you've put together thus far? Well we're using the way we've approached the problem in the past is we get five hundred thousand records from around the country every year. And we've got a team of human research assistants, coders, um, depending on if you're talking AI or public health, that has a completely different meaning. So for me, a coder is a person who reads information and pulls information out of clinical records. So we've got a team of research assistants and coders who read every clinical record that a paramedic creates when he sees a patient. And that information then is pulled out of the data by the coders 
and we use that information to inform public health strategies to intervene. So talking to politicians and bureaucrats about how can we intervene. The artificial intelligence is helping us do that by doing that using um, NL, um, now Ray can use, talk to this better, but using machine learning principles instead of the human coder to do that. Sure. So, so, so Ray, um, when we're applying you know, machine learning to what is traditionally done by you know a human interactor interaction, how how, how do you how do you approach that? Ray, are you there? Uh, so I missed a bit. I'm going to try guess what you were saying. Um, so uh, the the humans are uh, tanks. They're they're looking at, say a 200 summary of an event and tagging it with different um, statement. This involved heroin. Thing. Um, what we is. Unfortunately, Ray, we're having a bit of trouble with your connection. Um, We may have to drop out of the Skype conversation, but we've still got Debbie on the phone. Um, Apologies, Ray. We'll talk to you again soon. Debbie, are you there? I am. Yeah, so so I I suppose... um Ray was talking a little bit about sort of how how the machine learning um, is going to be applying the what, what uh, uh, traditional coders, uh, human coders would uh, would do. Um, I, I, I suppose the end result of uh, the the project, um, what, what, what you're looking for, the best outcomes for um, for for people who are uh, feeling issues with mental health and suicide. How I suppose? Um, how did you did you uh, approach the the pitch to Google? So there was a call that went out from Google.org to say that they were looking for um, applications for um, using AI for social impact, and um, we, uh, Dan Loveman and myself, who's the head of Turning Point, we sat down and thought, look, this is worth a try. Don't know what the odds are of getting it, but let's have a go. So we approached the, the faculty of IT at Monash and put together a grant application to Google. They spoke to us on the, over Skype a couple of times and then came back to us and said we were successful. So we were thrilled considering we went in thinking we didn't have a chance. Um, so we were one of 20 different projects around from 19 different countries around the world that were um, funded to do this work. And all of the other projects are as exciting as ours is. So it, it's really great to be included in that, that kind of a group, that people who are actually using AI to make a real difference in the world. Absolutely. Um, t- touching back on, uh, I suppose, the, the ambulance data that you've been collecting since 1998, is that, that's, that's not necessarily readily available data, is it? Or is that something that you had to come and sort of uh, negotiate through through the various ambul- ambulance services? Yeah, we are um, the only place in the world that does this. Um, to our knowledge, we don't know anyone else who uses ambulance data for this kind of purpose. So we've negotiated um, with each of the different ambulance jurisdictions around the country for them to provide their clinical records or part of extracts of their clinical records to us. So when a paramedic is called out to a site, they actually record quite detailed information about why they're there and what they've done to treat the patient and what they see on scene. 
and our coders read that information and extract the information, as Ray was saying, um, using a series of tick boxes, and then we can analyze that data to, uh, to better understand how we see what suicide in the community looks like and what mental health issues look like in the community, so that then we can feed that data up and make a difference and save lives using the data so we, we better understand the problem, so we can actually use the data to make a difference. Absolutely. And I, and I suppose um, with something as sort of, I suppose, uh, personal as mental health and suicide, every, every, every person who you would interact with or who an ambulance officer would interact with would have their own, I suppose, story behind how they had gotten to that point. Are there, mm-hmm. are there commonalities that you can find, though? Are, are, there, are, there, are there issues or, or, or things that you can link between cases that, help with the, that machine learning can help with? Um, yeah, I mean, one of the things that we're seeing that is often underrepresented um, or under-recognised in suicide responses is the role that alcohol plays. And we know that um, the use of alcohol is really highly associated with people attempting to take their lives or considering taking their lives. So understanding who's, who's using alcohol and what they're using it for um, in terms of often it's self-medication, it to deal with past trauma or it might be the the story of the Dutch courage that someone's taken it. So we're often seeing other substances involved in these stories. It's um it's it's such a complex issue that trying to to just assume that there's any one commonality is really the wrong way to go. There's each of these people have tragic stories that we really need to recognize and understand and then look for patterns to try to make a difference absolutely so um the focus of the project is uh, i suppose uh finding the as you say the identification and coding of suicide related ambulance data to inform policy and public health um are you are you working with you know government or in any uh, any uh, other organizations with regards to this or are you just going to use oh, the yeah. data and put things out there We work very closely with government. The data is used to inform a number of different strategies. We've worked um, using the data to help inform the National Suicide um, Intervention Strategy. We're regularly in discussion with DHHS and providing them um, data. Each of the individual state governments get a report from us every time they provide us data. So we feed that information back to them regularly so that they can use it to make changes in, in their policy and understand what practice they need to be implementing and identify hotspots that might need more services or fewer services. You know, services can be redirected because we're not seeing such a big issue, but over here there's a huge problem, so we can intervene there. So, yeah, our data is used for government uses all of the data. Um, and we feed it back to them regularly. Fantastic. And, and, and with, the, with the project that you're embarking on now, um, what's, what sort of timelines are you looking to have, have an outcome? Well, it's a three-year project. So Google has given us the money to um, use over three years. Uh, so we've, we've got um, data scientists like Ray on board who are helping us understand what we need to do. And he works really closely with our coding team to try to understand the data and um, set up processes and algorithms that they can use to code the data. We've got three million lines of data that's already coded, so it's 
we're using that to teach I'm and right. inform the models that um, that will go on to code the data. It's unlikely that AI will ever replace our coders because, as I said earlier, this is really a complex issue. But at a high level, it can help us and bring about a number of efficiencies so we can get more data through. The high-level stuff can be filtered so that we know that what we're feeding to our human coders is exactly what they need to get. So it's, it's creating efficiencies already, and we're expecting that we'll continue to, to grow and develop that over the next three years with Google's help. I've just had a, a message from Ray. He's listening, um, and he said um, there are two technical things that he wanted to talk about. Um, he says we do text classification, learning to tag text by examples, and we also do active learning, which is uh, that uh, we have the computer schedule on its own learning from the available data. It's fascinating stuff. I th- and, and I think it would be great once uh, we are able to kind of... Uh get through uh, people into studio um it would be good to get ray and you debbie uh, back into studio so we can we can unpack this further um thank you so much for making time for us it's, it's obviously a very interesting time um and it's a very important issue despite everything else that's going on we still need to um think about you know the other the other issues in society um and we'll um look with interest uh with what happens with uh, your project over the next three years Thanks so much for having us. Thank you very much. That was uh, Dr. Debbie Scott of uh, Eastern Health's uh, Turning Point. And uh, pr- prior to that, before we lost him on Skype, was Professor Ray B- uh, Bunteen uh, discussing the their new uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence approach to using ambulance data uh, with uh, regards to suicide and mental health. And if uh, any of the discussions that we've had have raised any issues, you can speak to Lifeline um, on 13 11 14. They are always there to help. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Uh, you've got Dan and Joe holding the studio together with you tonight. With tape. With tape. <laughs> with all. With well, ironically enough, not a huge, not a huge amount of technology. <laughs> it, seems, it seems to be failing us in every way, shape, and form. But before before uh, we go into a, a mire of self pity, um, <laughs> no, no, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it too. I'm having great fun. Uh, but we do um, want to touch uh, on the the issue that is on everyone's mind at the moment. Uh, the ongoing COVID nineteen situation seems to be changing by the hour. Um, it's affecting people in a whole lot of different ways, and uh, people across the world, millions of people, are working hard to tackle not just the virus but the various social and economic effects that it's brought with it. Now, the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering has put together a really interesting fact sheet on the various ways that uh, we are utilising technology to tackle this crisis. And the president of the Academy, Professor Hugh Bradlow, is on the line to tell us more. Hugh, thank you very much for making time to speak to us tonight. It's a pleasure, Dan. It's a, a, a pleasure is all ours. Now, I suppose um, before before we do jump into it, uh, perhaps you'd like to give us a bit of a, a background as to who, who the Australian Academy of uh, Technology and Engineering are. Sure. The, um, the academies, uh, the learned academies in Australia recognise uh, people who are eminent in their fields and uh, award them a fellowship to, uh, as part of that recognition. And then in return, we try and develop uh, positions that help inform Australian society general and our policies in particular uh, about the way forward. So 
Obviously, my academy focuses on uh, the technological sciences and engineering. There's Academy of Science and another one on humanities, another one social sciences. Right, right. So uh, the the Academy of Technology and Engineering have uh, put a lot of effort into sort of, I suppose, identifying for us the ways that technology is uh, helping with this particular crisis. Um, how are, are you? I suppose it'd be it comparing how we are now to the last, I suppose, pandemic, which is, um, I suppose, the the swine flu of two thousand and nine. Um, not not nearly as, I suppose, prevalent, but uh, there were definitely, I suppose, aspects of technology. What do you think um, has changed since then? Um, look, in terms of technology terms, obviously, um, smartphones are. Uh, almost uh, ubiquitous now amongst the population, so they can be the basis for various technological solutions. And, of course, broadband uh, is far more pervasive. I know the NBN is a contentious issue, but the fact is that broadband is available to most Australians. That enables them to telework and uh, to use telehealth, etc. So we're in a much better position to respond to the crisis um, through social distancing by getting people just to work remotely and work from home or to interact remotely. doesn't solve all problems, doesn't help restaurants, sports clubs, etc., the travel industry, but it, it does allow uh, people to continue functioning in many cases uh, because of that availability. Absolutely. So, so Hugh, I suppose um, the in, perhaps you would like to unpack sort of the way what you see as the the most uh, suppose significant ways that technology uh, will be able to help us through. Okay, so let, let's start off with um, teleworking first. Um, I, I think the, the truth is uh, we have the communications in place today, but what people haven't got used to are the audiovisual systems that you need to do it effectively. So often, you know, they're very good teleworking solutions like Zoom conferencing today, which um, people could use much more extensively than they do. And then they find when they do use them that it's usually the, the system on the desk in front of them that's the problem. The sound's bad, the camera's bad. Um, and or the Wi-Fi connection to their modem is not good. It's those things that I think as people get forced into uh, using the technology, we'll get better at, and that will improve the overall utilization of, of that technology. The, the other big one, of course, is being able to do telehealth and have a consultation remotely with a doctor um, so that you don't have to go into a clinic and infect everyone unnecessarily or be infected unnecessarily. Um, The problem there is one of a business model where the government doesn't pay the doctors for telehealth, which is um, a significant failure of the system and needs to be rectified. And I think uh, events like this will force it to be rectified. So I think we'll see change again then. Absolutely. Are you seeing any indications that people are changing as the situation unfolds, or do you think it will be one of those things where at the end of all of this we'll do a proper, like a large assessment and and change things up? I think we'll see both, actually. Um, uh, I see a very strong move to teleworking. Every organisation I'm involved with is sending people home and um, because we tend to be in fields where you can work from home, and so then those people will start to deal with the problems, like, as I say, the, the audiovisual systems, and then at the end of the process, they'll come up 
with better solutions for that. So I think we'll see a, a, a continuous progression in that regard. Mm, absolutely. Well, um, one other aspect, particularly when we're talking about you know inter human interaction through a work context or through a health context, um, it's it. Uh, we are staying social in general online um, a lot more than we were, you know, ten years ago when the last uh, crisis like this hit. Um, what 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 do you think uh, the impact of technology on sort of I suppose keeping some normalcy around your human human interactions outside of work or, or uh, um, I suppose health will be? Yeah, that's uh, look, uh, Dan. That's a difficult one. As Isaac Newton said, he could predict the movements of the heavens, but not the madness of human beings. <laughs> and um, the the fact is that people, these social media systems, are both a blessing and a curse um, because uh, they're uh, they're a source of um, ridiculous memes um, that spread very quickly and therefore cause all sorts of issues. You know anti-vaccination and all these crazy ideas that people spread around um, in these systems. On the other hand, um, they're very good social systems that people can use routinely to maintain normalcy during these periods like WhatsApp and um, business tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams that do give people a, a, a much more sort of feeling of immediacy around their communication. So there are pluses and minuses in both of them. And, um, you know, I don't think we actually have, as a society, figured out very well how we, we control the viruses that exist in the social networking systems. Hugh, I just want to talk quickly about um, entertainment as well um, as a form of um, social interaction. Uh, the other night I was due to go and see a, a local artist, Elizabeth, um, perform her um, album release show and um, it had to be cancelled. But um, she sat in her bedroom, uh, got her computer and her phone and simultaneously did Facebook Live and Instagram Live, played um, a, an acoustic piano show um, with everyone watching and commenting, and it was beautiful. Never before have I been able to freely talk during a show <laughs> without worrying about disturbing the artist. I'm really looking forward to seeing ways that um, that artists make use of, of this and how we can perhaps support them. Are you seeing anything along these lines too? Um, look, that is a, an excellent example, Joe, of the way social networking can be a real plus. But the problem for the artists, of course, they don't get paid for that. Yeah. So, mm. Again, we, we, we need a business model to help people do that more routinely. And, uh, you know, there are even more weird and wonderful systems that people have been experimenting with, like being able to play in an orchestra together, but in remote locations. Um, uh, you get software that will coordinate all the music and play it as a single orchestra, which is amazing. Great. But, incredible. Um, we, we need the, the, the monetary systems that go with it. And I, yeah. Again, I think, I think this will spur companies like Facebook to, to help people like that to have a business model where they can collect money for their performances. I was um, reading that gamers have this sorted already they, um, through the Twitch uh watching platform for, so you can watch gamers play games i'm not a gamer so not entirely yeah. sure but apparently you can tip people through that app so it'd be good if they could apply that yeah the um <laughs> twitch i must admit i'm not a gamer and this is where i have a generational problem because the idea of watching someone play a video game to me is crazy but um <laughs> the twitch but twitch i think relies more on an advertising model right um, as opposed to a payment model and that's um uh, probably, you know, 
uh, it works in that environment. And people make fantastic sums of money out of Twitch, but not many of them. Whereas, you know, what you really want to do is create a, a system where someone like the artist you mentioned could make a decent sum of money, not necessarily get rich. I'm sure she'd like to, but, you know, she, just enough to, at least to enable her to live. And you're not going to be able to do that through advertising because you you really need big audiences to get um, as money through advertising like that. Absolutely, uh, Hugh. Uh, you talked a little bit before about the sort of the the dangers of information being spread on social media. We are in an interesting position where we've got there, there is obviously a lot of misinformation out there, but amongst all the misinformation is actually the truth, and we, we're able to, I suppose, access the facts and the figures about how the, uh, I suppose, the the virus is spreading and its impact more than we possibly have. In human, or well, absolutely more than we have in human history. Are you are you seeing that as a positive, or how, what, what, what's your take on that? Uh, look, the, you know, unfortunately, the truth is um, is a sort of a fluid subject. Um, my idea of the truth and Donald Trump's idea of the truth are two very different things. Um, the The fact is that um, everyone's giving the same advice in this crisis. Go to their authoritative sources. Don't. You know, don't accept some random person's opinion. Go to the government website. Go to um, uh, reputable uh, media outlets who, you know, do do due diligence on their stories. So um, it's it's more of a danger that people are getting these so-called truths from uh, such a variety of sources, Um, whereas, in fact, the same traditional sources are still the ones that really are providing the most reliable information. Absolutely. And do you think, you know, having the real-time, I suppose, graphs of, you know, infections and all that kind of thing, is, is that is that a, a good thing for us to have? Or do you think it's a, it's a, it's a bit kind of scaremongery? <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's important that people understand the extent of the problem. Um, but, you know, looking at some of those visualizations, like we mentioned in our uh, fact sheet there, um, I'm not sure what I'd do with the information. Yes, it's interesting to me to see that how it's spreading and how quickly it's spreading, but how do I, how do I respond to that? Um, whereas, you know, some of the things like some of these pattern recognition systems that are done with um, so-called machine learning, uh, which give you early warning of events like that blue dot system did of the coronavirus, then that obviously is valuable to businesses. Um, and if you're able to do things like predict the the fact that the, the stock market is tanking, of course, it's very valuable to some people. Um, so it, it's pretty mixed. Uh, um, businesses will be able to use this information. How the average person on the street uses it is not clear to me. Mm, absolutely. And, and I, I suppose we're looking at uh, AI a lot more. We did have it. We had an interview just before about artificial intelligence, which is definitely something that we have only really kind of been able to access uh, in the last couple of years. How, how are you seeing AI um, in, interact with the, with the virus and, and its effects? Well, you know, as I said, um, the, the people, uh, this AI, um, the, the hype around AI is, uh, is now sort of given it mythical proportions, which it doesn't deserve. Mm. Um, AI, uh, so-called AI, which is really so uh, machine learning today, um, or natural language processing, which really is just a way of extracting um, words from sentences, um, those are... Um, 
good at recognizing repeatable patterns. So um, that system I mentioned, Blue Dot, uh, was inspired by the spread of SARS in the early 2000s. Um, and um, the, the person who started it worked out that if you could get certain data sources like airline booking systems and news sources and things, he may be able to find and infer um, uh, when, when a new, a new pan- a pandemic is about to occur. So in that sense, it is giving useful information. But it's not a predictive system. It can only tell you if it's found a pattern that is repeatable. If the patterns are not repeatable, or so-called chaotic patterns like the weather, for example, it doesn't give you prediction. But where I think it would get much more interesting is if we could start inferring um, the state of individuals' health from things like wearables. Um, You've got a watch on you with um, a heart rate measurement system that then you can infer, well, this person's heart pattern is showing some sign of disease. Maybe he or she's got flu. Um, We're not quite there yet, but people are working on things like that, which I think could make a very significant difference because then you could extend the telehealth systems by actually when when you do the Zoom conference with your doctor, um, she can look at those patterns that are coming off your watch and say, yeah, you'd better get into hospital and be treated or no, I think you're okay and don't worry about it. Absolutely. So, so Hugh, I suppose, um, what, what, what do you think would be, in your opinion, the kind of number one or number two thing that a person at home using their own technology should be doing in order to kind of, you know, best deal with, with the situation that we're finding ourselves in? Um, I suppose the number one is... Um, that if you've got a smartphone or a tablet or a computer, um, you should be thinking in terms of avoiding meetings through video conferencing where possible, um, because that uh, is virtually zero incremental cost uh, to most people in this country today. And so that's an easy remedy. Um, the number two thing is you should be looking for uh, telehealth Um, opportunities that will enable you uh, to give your doctor um, better information without actually having to go into a pathologist to get, you know, blood tests or measurements. Um, So to give you an example, I've had um, various heart um, arrhythmia problems. I have a little $200 device called a Cardia, which every morning I measure my heart rate to see whether it's in rhythm or not. And if it's not, I send that I send an email to my um, uh, physician who then can have a look at it and say, no, that's okay, or it's an anomaly, or you better get in here and we better attend to you. So it's those types of things which I think can change the health system. But the real problem at the moment is we don't, the health system is business model doesn't allow that sort of interaction to be uh, refunded to the doctors. And until that happens, they're not going to be much interested in it. Absolutely. Uh, we are, uh, you're listening to Bite Into It uh, with Dan and Joe. We are speaking to Professor Hugh Bradlow, the president of the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering. Um, Hugh, the, the Academy has put together this really interesting fact sheet, and I do encourage everyone to go, go on to uh, your website and have a read of it. Um, is the Academy going to be uh, doing anything to kind of, like following on from that in the coming weeks in addition to the fact sheet? Yeah, um, look, we've done a... Um We've been doing studies uh, over the past three years on the readiness of different industries in Australia for some massive technological change. So 
Last year, we launched a report on Australia's readiness for new transport technology, in particular self-driving cars. And this year, we're in April, we're launching a report on um, the readiness of our health system for these new technologies, like the ones referred to in the fact sheet there and uh, the ones I've been talking about. And so um, we uh, hopefully will have a much more detailed report that governments and health um, professionals can start thinking about as to how they change their operations to to adapt to and use the technology better um, over the next 10 years or so. Fantastic. We'd love to have you back on to discuss uh, those things as they come to hand. Uh, Professor Hugh Bradlow, the President of the Australian Academy of Technology and Engineering, thank you so much for making time to speak to us tonight. It's a pleasure, Dan and Joe. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. We're gonna we're gonna wind it up, but uh, before we go, obviously, I just want to I want to say, you know, we're finding ourselves in very interesting times, um, and as uh, Mon said at the end of her show, we need to look after each other. Um, now, now is not the time to uh, be, I suppose, a dick. <laughs> we just look out for your neighbours, give blood. Um, you know, if 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 you've got a, if you've got a friend or uh, someone who even you don't know who needs a roll of toilet paper, and you've got a few a few spares, uh, hand them out. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll get through this together, everyone. We really absolutely. Will. Yeah, um, and I suppose we'll uh, we'll be back here next week in in some way, shape, or form. We have been bite into it. My name is Dan, and uh, Joe. I think your name is Joe. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it's, I've checked my ID. That's cool. Um, <laughs> Up next, we have the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. So stick around. He always plays excellent tunes. absolutely does. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.